Hello and welcome to the Avocado Proust podcast, a weekly podcast about tech, culture, health and everything in between. We'll share things that caught our eye this week and then go a bit deeper on our topic of the week. Hi Jeeves. Hi Looms. It's very early. It's not that early. <laughs> it's quarter to 11 in the morning. Yes, but it's a Saturday and <laughs> I should still be asleep, but I'm not. But I'm here and I made it Yeah. a couple hours late, later than we planned. All good, we're here now, that's what's important. <laughs> Our topic of the week this week is boundaries. Yes, boundaries, how to set them, why you need them, and how to know whether you need them or not. But first... <laughs> do you have some highlights for us? I do week? have one highlight, and it truly is a highlight, actually. <laughs> So someone shared with me a video of Louis Theroux this week and apparently it's been going viral on TikTok. I don't use TikTok, yes. so I was unfamiliar <laughs> with it before it was shared with me. So the context is back in 2000, Louis did a documentary on rap, rap artists and he basically had to come up with a rap on the spot. And he did. <laughs> and recently, he got asked if he remembered the rap on something called Chicken Shop Date, which is apparently a YouTube series. Again, I'm not familiar with it. I like, uh, just as, as somebody who's very familiar with Chicken Shop Date, the fact that you're like, something called Chicken Shop Date. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a link to it. It's a, it's a series of interviews that this woman holds in chicken shops with famous rappers interesting <laughs> i'm YouTube, intrigued now there's a whole youtube ecosystem of clever creative people getting together and making content yeah i feel like i don't use youtube very much but i'm sure there's lots of gems on there like this which obviously then made it onto other platforms because it's so excellent so i wanted to share Louis's rap and it's been remixed by Duke and Jones so here we are you have to have something that sticks you have to have something that's monumental when you walk out on stage it has to be monumental jiggle jiggle can you remember any of the rap that you did my money don't jiggle jiggle it folds I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle for sure make you wanna dribble dribble you know <laughs> rather than my beard you really have to see it six feet two in a compact no slack so I think that's excellent <laughs> I'm a big Louis Theroux fan anyway and he just has even more talents I wonder if we should reach out I wonder if we should reach out to him and and find and get permission to make that the theme song for the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> I think you would very much enjoy being introduced that way yeah every week. the thing is I feel like it's his we, we couldn't take that away <laughs> but it is excellent and yeah it's been stuck in my head all week basically I'll like have a moment where you know I'm looking out the window or a little gap in you know <laughs> thoughts from work or something 
My money don't jiggle do. <laughs> <laughs> it folds. It folds. <laughs> um, so it's, such an, it's such an excellent. It's such an excellent line. I'm a big yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> if you were if you were asked to write your own rap, what would it be about? I'm not as clever as Louis, so I don't think I could think of something on the spot. I think what would the subject be though? What would the subject be? I don't know. Brunch probably. (laughs) I like to have brunch. I also like lunch. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's that's as far as I've gone. (laughs) I think something about eggs, Benny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you could get some good rhymes with that. He did. Yeah. You. I think you could. I think you could. Maybe we'll work on that, and uh, and share it with the masses next time. All the more reason. Any look, anything to get more people to to tune in, right? Don't you want to hear Jeevan rap? I think you do. I know I do. Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, that was my main highlight for I, this week. Well, I enjoyed that. Thank you for sharing that with me. That was uh, I heard it the first time in the interview for Chicken Shop Date, but I hadn't heard the remix and the uh, remix is so much better. Yeah, the remix is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'd listen to that like all the time. There's so much creativity, isn't there, mm. on so many of these online platforms. And speaking of online platforms, um, I have a new study to share with you. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, only you would react to that sentence with genuine interest and curiosity. <laughs> None of my other friends would be like, oh, a new study, tell me. <laughs> But this is one for you. So researchers followed 5,000 10-year-olds for about two years to try to figure out the impact that screen time was having on Uh. their level of development. And obviously, the world has changed quite a bit now in that screens are everywhere. So the old adage of screen time is bad for you used to just refer to one type of interaction right watching tv mm. but so much of our lives now are rely on a screen for whatever task it is that we're doing that it's not really accurate or as accurate as it used to be so they studied three different categories of screen usage to try to figure out right what the impact of each was so that was watching videos socializing and gaming Interesting. And over the course of the study, initially, it showed that uh, watching videos had a slight detrimental effect on intelligence, on the uh, on their development. And this was measured using like cognitive exercises and the right. usual and IQ tests and things like that. So the initial results showed that, yes, watching videos had a slight, caused a slight decrease in the, well, there was correlation between that and mm intelligence going down at the end of the two-year period though watching videos actually had a pretty marginal effect on intelligence so it's statistically statistically irrelevant effect right on that socializing saw no change throughout but playing video games actually saw quite a big jump in intelligence over the two-year period so they gave an example in this article where the one of their the average child in the top 17 percent of hours spent playing video games saw an increase in their iq by 2.5 points over a two-year period i thought this was really interesting because first of all you still get parents will still get a lot of that 
judgment and pressure about screen time. But yeah. screen time it doesn't mean what it what it meant ten years ago, even twenty years ago. Screen time is a very has changed dramatically. But also, these results don't really surprise me because of the of what it takes to actually be able to solve puzzles. Yeah, exactly. So what I was going to actually ask is, was this sort of an observational study where the kids were just doing whatever they'd normally do and they were just looking at the differences? Because I'd wonder if there was a difference between people, depending on the types of video games they played. So, for example, some are a bit more about like puzzles or problem solving or whatever. And I guess even to an extent, the like shooter ones are like strategic so obviously you are using parts of your brain but I yeah I guess my first question would be I wonder if there was any further details on that data and I guess the other thought is it might help or might correlate with increased intelligence which I guess this is study was specifically looking at intelligence but didn't look at other like other factors, so like ability to interact with their peers or like socialize and that kind of stuff. And I wonder if even if video games might have a impact on intelligence, probably related to problem solving, it also has a negative impact on other factors that just weren't measured in this study. Yeah. So the the guys who did the study that was one of the the not blind spots, but one of the things that they didn't mm. really cover or weren't focused on. So the they didn't specify what type of video games. So it, right. we don't have data on whether or not it was first-person shooter or whether it was problem-solving, puzzle, puzzles, things like that. So they didn't differentiate. They, they let the kids self-report what they were doing at the time when they were using the screen. So were they socializing with their social media or were they playing a game? That was basically what they had to say. With okay. So it was self-reported as opposed to specifically observed over mm. that time period. So it's very much the basis, the a, a small part of a much bigger study on the overall impact of what we define screen time to be as now. So this was like preliminary findings as part of a bigger piece of work. But it was just interesting sure. to see yeah. that to see that it stood out in that way definitely the watching videos thing is interesting because obviously that would have been as you kind of mentioned earlier old school what we would have thought about screen time when we were growing up and now maybe you're not watching your videos on tv maybe it's on a phone or laptop or whatever but it's a similar kind of activity but I guess good to know for us that that didn't have yeah <laughs> too much impact <laughs> I mean you know we're still creative it's relatively accomplished people with yeah. decent sized brains yeah and like I watched I, I watched tv growing up I'm trying to think in terms of like time maybe it wasn't crazy but it wasn't like I had no screen time so yeah we had a lot of screen time growing up but it's also because there wasn't really much else to do in the countries that we lived in. So they weren't necessarily always the safest places to be, to be playing around right. outside. So we spent a lot of time watching TV and it had almost no impact on me <laughs> 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 and the way that my mind works. Clearly 
this would be a good place to intersperse my money. Don't jiggle, jiggle. It <laughs> <laughs> We're like, it had no impact on us whatsoever. Just play a clip of that. <laughs> I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So what else have you seen this week? I actually saw another study this week that had uh, a lot to do with the the way that our brains work and it could potentially start to take us down the route to telepathy. <laughs> that was interesting. Interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> a completely paralyzed patient was able to regain his ability to communicate at length using only his thoughts. Nice. That was very interesting. So it's a man with ALS and previously he was using eye tracking but because he was starting to lose control of his eye movements, they needed to find another solution to make sure that he wasn't fully locked in, uh, you know, the syndrome, the locked in syndrome. Mm. So scientists started to experiment, obviously with his consent, with different ways for to allow him to continue to, to communicate. And f- they found a method called auditory neurofeedback, which basically uses sound. And so they were able to teach him how to control his brain signals in response to certain sounds interesting and i found this out on a really cool vox podcast that came out i believe it was this week that came out but they talk at great length about the process itself and mm. how that worked and all of that so we'll definitely link to it because i think it's definitely worth a listen yeah if it's something that you're interested interested in yeah so he was able to use his thoughts to generate brain activity and so the very basic brain activity was you know the higher the activity was it would mean yes and then the low activity would mean no and so it was through a series of very intense training it got to a stage where he was able to he's now able to write out whole sentences and make whole requests and things like that and it takes him about a minute to make a letter so a whole sentence is obviously quite the commitment and it got me thinking about how much or how little value we place on our ability to communicate and to just... Yeah, that's a good point. We just take it for granted. We take it so much for granted. And if it costs you a, a minute of your life in order to say a letter of whatever thought it was that you were going to share, how would that change the way that you share your thoughts? I think you'd be a lot more concise. You just think really hard about how to communicate efficiently as possible his first sentence was to thank the researchers for all the work that they'd done that's so nice and his second request was to ask his wife to um bring a blender for his soup because he wanted his soup (laughs) blended which i thought was amazing but he's he's since made all sorts of requests like he's requesting his favorite band He's been able to request certain specific foods as well. So he's able to still communicate with his family, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. And it's interesting in the in the Vox podcast, which, again, links in the show notes, they talk about how there used to be a theory or there used to be a lot of uh, um, disagreement in the scientific community or not disagreement necessarily, but debate in the scientific community about whether or not people who are locked in, so people who can't communicate and are completely paralyzed, were able to be happy. 
That's interesting. Right? Because we're we're so familiar with one way of demonstrating joy or happiness, etc. But if you're locked in, because they can you know, you can see that there's brain signals there. Yeah. But is it possible to have a happy life or to feel happiness? For instance, listen to your favorite band or like this patient was able to request a certain type of soup that he liked. Yeah, can you still feel happiness? Can you still feel Surely joy? Surely you can, yeah. It's not about... Because, as we know, your thoughts control your feelings. So, that in this instance, that disease isn't affecting his brain. So, he still can think and feel all those things, even if he can't physically express that or move yeah. or whatever which is why the science is able to progress because he does have the electricity that our brains you know the electric signals that our brains use to control the environment around us or control us in certain environments still firing so it's they when they talk about this particular set of experiments it kind of stems this path of study stems from that original conversation of locked in folks yeah that's very sad but good I'm better making it. progress yeah progress yeah. is good progress is good this went really dark <laughs> sorry you're gonna say on something <laughs> a bit more cheery i think well in my third and final study that i have for you i didn't tell you initially that there were three but there are three and this is the final <laughs> one in slightly more well Actually, the last study around the ALS patient isn't a negative one. Isn't a net negative. It just no, shows it's that positive, really. it's a positive one, really. But it just made me really appreciative of the of being in a position where that this is not something that you have to deal with. Mm. It's good to be reminded of that sometimes. It's important so. to be reminded of that, especially the the value of words. But the third study that I have is one that directly impacts me. Okay. And it is from the Zoe app. I believe it's a Zoe health data app. And they are the ones who help the government track the spread of COVID through self-reporting, tracking and things like that. And they were able to give the government a picture of how infections were moving through the through different communities yeah you told me about that app yeah yes. so they have obviously the covid app but they also have another product that's around nutrition and gut health and stuff like that so i wasn't sure which one you were talking about well they've had to pivot slightly into a more generalist health app because they lost their funding from the government because the government decided not to no longer the UK government because we live in the UK yes decided to no longer track covid spread or do testing they've you know pulled testing it's it's a live with covid strategy now so the UK has no rules <laughs> at present <laughs> wild west <laughs> we're all out here just breathing each other's air with no rules or restrictions, but that's a side, that's a, that's a, that's a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> but the Zoe guys have a study where they were able to show that coffee is actually very beneficial to the gut microbiome. 
Nice. And I believe I, did I share this with you already? It doesn't matter. I'll share it with you now. So you may or may not know that coffee has over a thousand bioactive molecules, one of which is caffeine. Mm. You also may or may not know that coffee has vitamin two, magnesium, polyphenols, nailed it. And lots of vitamins, <laughs> anti-inflammatory properties, yeah. lots of positives. It also helps with uh, different types of diseases and things like that. So n- coffee's a net positive, although some people don't react that well to caffeine and things like that. But as an actual food product, it's got a net positive. And now we have the science to show it. Zoe did a, a set of studies called the PREDICT studies. So one of the things that they did was they took a look at how coffee consumption affects our gut microbiomes. And they saw a very strong correlation between drinking coffee and the comp- composition of the gut microbiome. They noticed that people who drank coffee tended to have higher, higher microbiome diversity and that it was dose dependent. So people who drank more than four cups per day tended to have the highest microbiome diversity compared to people who drank fewer cups or none at all. That is interesting. Which it bodes well for you. Oh, it bodes so well for me. <laughs> I've capped it at four per day because um, you know, I wanna keep it I wanna be reasonable about it. But when you go to somewhere like the US where you or some anywhere that has free refills, I will drink until I'm shaking. And then at the point of shaking is when I'll stop. But I process caffeine really well, whereas I know that you struggle a little bit with that. I can have one coffee and that's me done. You could have more. <laughs> you choose to have one. Well, if I have more, I get heart palpitations. <laughs> like, I, Yeah, it's too much caffeine yeah. for me. Yeah. I can have decaf. Yeah. We're- which in theory, decaf should still have those benefits. It because should. it isn't exclude. obviously decaf, the thing that it doesn't include is caffeine, but it still has all the other stuff in it. So, yeah. Well, coffee has is serves as food for some of the bacteria, or the good bacteria that's in the gut. So, when you have a coffee, it feeds the good bacteria and helps them thrive. Nice. I shared that my dad and I are the big coffee drinks drinkers in our family and I shared that and he was like yeah but I've heard other stuff so I was like look I, this wasn't supposed to be for this isn't this isn't a, a discussion topic. no <laughs> this was me informing you <laughs> of why I drank all your Nespresso <laughs> it's for the good of my gut health love it and now on to our topic of the week which as we mentioned is boundaries yes it's boundaries and this all stemmed from a dilemma that I saw on Reddit, where Reddit has a section called Am I the Asshole, or A-I-T-A for short. So if you're ever down a rabbit hole and you're looking for places to go, that's a fun place to be. Where basically <laughs> people will post the, their dilemmas and then they'll ask at the end, am I the asshole for having done this or having had this reaction, whatever. And people can comment and say whether or not they think that YTA, you're the asshole, or NTA, not the asshole. So you have nice. a lot of people who go in and like will post clearly in the middle of an argument with their loved ones. <laughs> do you post? I do not post. I'm a lurker. I'm a Reddit lurker. So I'll lurk, but yeah. I won't post. Never post. Same. I've not that I've frequented that bit of Reddit, but I do find Reddit super interesting. 
But I'm also a lurker. Yeah. The dilemma that I saw was one where there was a parent, a mom, and she had a daughter who was about eight or nine years old. And the daughter was going to school and there was a boy in her class who was bothering her at recess. And he was always doing behavior that I think historically we would have looked at as, oh, it's because he likes you, you know, pulling ponytails and just generally not being very fun to be around with this particular little girl or as the mom tells it. And the little girl told her mom and her mom was like, if he bothers you again, come and find your teacher or come and tell me. And the little girl was like, cool, fine. And she goes to school the next day and the teacher says, everyone get into groups and ask the kids to get into groups of four or five people. The girl is able to form a group of five of her friends and so they're ready for the group project. And the boy who's been harassing her comes up to her and wants to join the group. And her friends are like, well, no, there's other groups that have three people that you can join. We're already full. Yeah. And the boy is like, no, but the teacher said four or five people. Like she was, she was like, you know, kept it loose. <laughs> <laughs> My words, not obviously not the, not the little boys. And the girl who he's been harassing says, I don't want to work with you. No. That's good leave. of her to say that. I think that's, great that's very like strong as in like. I think that's great. Yeah. I would not have had the confidence to say that as a kid, I don't think. Mm. I just can't imagine where, but it's great that she was able to say that. Anyway, so the little boy goes straight to the teacher and says, teacher, I tried to join this group and she said I couldn't join and she's excluding me, blah, blah, blah. Teacher writes a letter to the mom and says, we have a, a policy of inclusion at the school. So you can't, you're not allowed to exclude anybody and your daughter excluded this boy from the group activity and we need you to remind her that you're not allowed to exclude any kids from any of the activities. And the mom writes back this whole response to yeah. her. What's the policy on harassment <laughs> at their school of other students? Well, like? <laughs> before I share the response, I wanted to ask you in that position, and that's your daughter, how do you respond to that? I'd be fuming. I'd be so angry. And obviously, I would want to know whether he because obviously it's, it's it's not clear whether the teacher knew about this boy harassing this the teacher girl, right? did know the teacher did know oh she did yes. know okay so i was going to say you know there is a world in which she had no idea the girl actually had never she maybe mentioned it to her mum but didn't mention it to her teacher and you know that's that is where the information gap is mm-hmm. but she knew she did know and was still like she can't she has to work with this kid who's been harassing her that's insane yeah i would be so angry and so i would have written back i would have probably brought in like the principal or or whoever head teacher because i don't think that's an appropriate way for a teacher to react either like she's obviously not handled the situation well in her class Mm -hmm. that this boy is harassing this other student so she's doing a shit job and then she's like, this is completely bizarre. Yeah. So the parent, the mom, responds to the teacher and says, I, I'm pushing back on this because I'm trying to teach my daughter how to have good boundaries. And yeah. I want her, I'm trying to raise her to know that she doesn't have to be nice for the sake of being nice. And the mom was like, I also grew up in a, a world where, or in a schooling environment where I was told 
to, I had to be nice to everybody, regardless of my own personal levels of comfort around different people. And it had the detrimental effect where as a young adult, she, for instance, in relationships would let people walk all over her because mm. of and take advantage of her inability to say no because she was raised to believe that she wasn't supposed to be saying no she was supposed to be nice to everybody well that's how all women are raised right like you should exactly. just be nice be a nice girl yes don't yes. you know be confrontational oh it sounds like you're bossy and it's like all these things that girls especially young girls get yeah. told yeah oh he just likes you oh it <laughs> winds me up so much <laughs> sorry it's, yeah keep going it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> fuming I'm not laughing at the situation but I just I knew that this was gonna like get up you know grind your gears yeah. <laughs> so to say so in that scenario the teacher responds to the mom's note saying which I thought was quite reasonable actually because she pasted the note that she wrote basically saying I'm teaching my daughter boundaries I don't want her to be in a, to feel like she has to be nice to somebody who isn't being kind to, to her. Exactly. Especially, and and I want her to be able to trust the adults around her to have her back. It's especially as you know that this boy's been har- harassing her, etc. Yeah. What was interesting was, so the teacher responds and asks the mom to come in and speak to her and the principal. So she was like, come and see us and the principal. Obviously, trying to say... <laughs> The print look calling him back up like the principal, you know, will set you right. And because the mom posted, loads of people said that she obviously was not the asshole in that situation mm-hmm. and gave her loads of ideas and things to do. And one of the ideas that she did, because we got an update on the dilemma as well. Oh, nice. So we have a conclusion. I like the dilemmas that have a conclusion. Yeah, and you want to know update. what happened. Exactly. Right. I would never bring it <laughs> up if we didn't have. Cliffhanger. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so this is why I like this one, because it had a conclusion. Lots of the suggestions on Reddit was for her from people who claim to be former public school teachers and stuff. So uh, and other parents who'd been through something similar. So they gave her lots of tips. One of the comments I found interesting was somebody who claimed to have previously been a public school teacher and was now a parent on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And she said that in from her time in public school when she was teaching, you only ever called in the principal when you felt like you were right and you needed backup. And so for the teacher, that was her calling in the big guns to be like, well, you won't listen to me. You have to listen to the principal because whatever. And so the person commenting encouraged the mom to try to gather other parents to see if anyone else. That is a right? smart idea. That's what the mom did. So she reached out to the parents to of the other girls who had been in the group that her daughter picked, mm. who also had said they don't want the boy to join the group. And they just happened to be girls who said don't want the boys to join the group gather the parents turns out the boy has been harassing those girls as well we say harassing as much as an eight-year-old can harass oh, another know. eight-year-old I think, I think they can though. just yeah generally being see again and i have this instinct i can feel myself having this instinct to downplay it because i'm like well they're eight how just can nice. it be? i mean right? eight-year-olds have gone to prison <laughs> okay but exactly. eight-year-olds have murdered other children <laughs> so it can be bad obviously that's extreme but like yeah, this is, yeah. Well, gathered all the other parents together and they were able to take in a united front to the principal and explain why it was wrong to have this like blanket, never exclude a child thing because it's going to have 
dam- the most damaging effect spe- on girls yeah. specifically. Well, it's also creating an unsafe environment. It's creating an unsafe environment. It's saying that how you feel doesn't matter and your discomfort doesn't mat- matter. Mm. And I can understand the school's reasoning for having this policy in place because what you don't want is for a child with poor morals to come in and, and exclude based on something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Ideological. It's, you know, you don't want to be excluding people in a bullying kind of way but I think it's I don't know you need to know when to apply your policies in the right circumstance right yeah I don't think that I don't think the oh, this probably well, this is definitely just my opinion but it does not feel at present like the gray area is something that people have a lot of patience for and so when you look at well, I say people in the Western world. Mm. There's a lot of tribal, black or white viewpoints on certain topics. Nobody seems, if you exist in a gray area, you're considered to be wishy-washy almost. And so there's such a low tolerance for the gray area that yes, you can have a blanket ban on exclusion of children, but there's still space there to take in a case-by-case basis. Yeah, of course. The real reason why, I I mean, not the real reason, but the main reason why this stood out, again, is to do with our topic of the week, as you mentioned, which is boundaries. And so I thought there would be a lot of value in us thinking about whether, should we be, how should we be teaching kids boundaries? Mm. And obviously we don't have kids at at this moment in time, but thinking back through the experiences that we've had ourselves, when, if we could go back in time, how would we have taught ourselves how to set those boundaries? That's a really interesting question. And I think framing it as how would you teach kids is obviously good because you want to learn that kind of stuff from an early age, but also helps in a way that we can hopefully think about it in like relatively simple terms. Mm -hmm. I think we should actually start with explaining what boundaries are. That's a great point. Because I feel like a lot of people have a certain idea of what a boundary might be. But, yeah, I think we should give our interpretation of that. For sure. I think a common misconception of what boundaries are are, is that some people think that if you that you set a boundary to control someone else's behavior when in reality, so for instance, if you want somebody to be nicer to you, then you set a boundary to make them be nicer to you, which is a complete misconception of what boundaries are and how they work. Cause you can't control other people. Mm. All you can do is control where you set up. So in a situation where someone's being unkind to you, in my view, the way to set a sustainable, effective boundary is to decide how you are going to show up in, in that situation where they're being unkind so a boundary would be if this person's unki- unkind to me I will no longer spend time around them as much as that's possible depending on the dynamics there yeah exactly so you the, your it's your boundary basically you decide how you feel about a certain situation or whatever and how you're going to act and then it's up to you to enforce that boundary which actually I think 
the little girl in the story did a really good job of. Mm -hmm. She was like, okay, I have a boundary that I'm not going to associate with people who harass me. And she enforced that boundary by telling him, no, you can't work with us in this project. So I think that's a yeah perfect example, actually. Yeah. And I think I was, I'm probably guilty of having been one of those people who used to, you know, in your younger years, you believe or you think that if you set boundaries, it, it'll change other people's behavior. And this comes mm -hmm. up a lot in dating, for instance. Yeah. It's back in the day, not so much now, but in the early <laughs> yes, days. <exactly>. Yeah. <laughs> when we were young and foolish. <laughs> <laughs> young and full of optimism, I'll say, as yeah. opposed to, I mean, foolish with optimism. <laughs> And misconceptions of how things should go. But I think that showed up a lot then, which was if you're in a situation or in a relationship where you aren't getting what you need, your first instinct is, okay, well, how do I make them give me what I need? <laughs> <laughs> Have you experienced that before, Jeeves? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, that sounds very familiar. But as we know, you can't control what other people do. What were some of the, what was, what's been like a situation where you genuinely believed that you could in some way influence someone, how someone else treated you? And then how did you, how did you get where you are today, where you now see? That's a good question. I think when I was younger, I used to think that what I did would influence someone else's thoughts and actions so I'd always try and be in my mind what was sort of like quote-unquote perfect yeah. you know you're trying to do all these things that you think the other person is gonna like or almost make them feel comfortable or whatever and not thinking about what you need really so I think a classic example is being like the cool girl who mm. doesn't care about mm -hmm. anything and it's just like relaxed and whatever super chill I'm not super chill and you're the opposite <laughs> for anyone who knows me <laughs> so stuff like that where you think if I behave in this cool way then the person will like me and actually realize that they want a serious relationship for yeah. example that obviously doesn't happen no, that's that's not quite how that goes but what about you have you experienced a situation like where you were not enforcing your boundaries oh almost exclusively throughout <laughs> the lion share of my 20s yes absolutely I think it's it, it's very much from that same mindset of not wanting to believe that you actually don't have the control that you think that you do. Mm. And also seeing other people be seemingly effortless because people just tend, don't tend to be that honest about the situations that they're in. And so if everyone's telling yeah. you oh, it's supposed to be this way or that way or whatever, then that can get into your head. I think more recently a big part of that has been with trying to enforce boundaries for myself or as a single person, mm. because what you do end up getting sometimes is people will try to 
people will wonder whether like or question your desire to want to set boundaries like an example being you go on a date with somebody and you're just not really feeling that person Mm. and the boundary I've set for myself is to value my time more than like as like a a huge priority for me is to protect my time Mm. and so I'm not necessarily willing to use my time in ways that don't enrich me or fulfill me in some way that's just my own boundary if something doesn't enrich me or fulfill me in some way then it doesn't get my time is a good boundary I like it it's a boundary I have the privilege to be able to set as somebody who is currently untethered so it's not like my you know I don't have (laughs) true demands from people who you know I brought into this world (laughs) who I probably need to care for and you know keep alive etc so I do have that the privilege of being able to do that and to really be really protective of my time and so that often comes in when you'll have people say things like oh but you know, give someone a chance or go on mm. this or, you know, go and hang out with this person, spend time with this person, etc. Or they'll question why you're being so protective of your time. And I think oftentimes you get that sort of response from the people around you who they who them, they themselves don't feel comfortable or confident enough to be able to set that time or they're not able to. So the one of the more challenging elements of being of trying to set boundaries that actually serve you is expecting others to understand and respect those boundaries because a lot of people won't yeah exactly people you care about won't and I think you can communicate those boundaries but you can't expect people to respect them necessarily but you have a choice if they don't respect them on how you want to respond. Exactly. And it's easier said than done because it's easy to be like, well, you know, and I use the date example because, you know, the complete yes. stranger or whatever. But an example where that's a bit harder, it's like at work, for instance. Yeah. I was just saying to you before that I've been saying yes to a lot of things. <laughs> but the things that I'm saying yes to and the things that I'm taking on, even though I probably at some point need to start saying no more, but it's all things that are interesting. There's nothing Mm. that isn't interesting that I'm saying yes to. And so by that, it doesn't feel, I don't feel violated in terms of, it doesn't feel, well, it doesn't feel like my boundaries are being violated in that way. And, but where I need to get better is actually saying no even if something is like fine tuning the boundary yeah. to be like, cause if you say it's just things that are going to fulfill you, a lot of things fulfill you. How do you actually get more specific with your boundaries without necessarily losing on opportunities? And that's something that I'm working on at the moment. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like, doesn't it something that fulfills you, but also doesn't make you feel like overwhelmed or burnt out exactly. or something like that. Exactly. So it, I guess maybe there's something that looks at what else you've got on your plate. So you might have one interesting thing that you could say yes to, but actually given everything else, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. However you define the boundary. Exactly. And I mentioned yesterday that I got an opportunity to do, to take, to do a a project at work 
that would that is something that I would be open to doing. I just don't have the headspace to to do it. But I know that it would have a net positive on me. And even yeah. you saw that, and you were like, "You have to do this thing." Yeah, it and I was like, would "I would be very cool." It would, right? But there's a lot of things that are coming up that are like that, and it's constantly checking in with your boundaries to make sure that the ones that you have in place are still serving you. The boundaries that I had when I was 20 are very different to the boundaries that I had now. And we just discussed I did not. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really have any before. <laughs> there were, uh, it's a recent development. <laughs> my boundaries in my 20s were like a colander. Everything was just, uh, yeah, it was more of a suggestion, more of a gentle request. It wasn't enforced. It was basically. not enforced at all. So, yeah, that's, and I think a, a big part of that also is around how, how you know when your boundaries are working. That's, that's a good question. Right? Like, how do you know? when the boundary the boundaries that you have in place are actually serving you and then how do you know when they're not serving you that's something to really think about at the same time as you develop your the boundaries that you want to have yeah I guess how do you evaluate whether a boundary has been successful I guess part of it is if if you decide that it is an appropriate boundary for you are you enforcing it is one way to measure success and if you have this boundary in your head and actually you're not enforcing it, what, why is that happening? Yeah. If we think about a situation where someone doesn't necessarily... So I use the work example there because obviously I'm being paid for my time. So there's mm. an element of that that plays in and not everything you do is going to be interesting, but there's, some, there's going to be certain things that you're going to be forced to sort of do and all that. Yeah. If we think about being in a situation where you don't, you see, you don't think that you have any control, for instance, or you are under the, 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 the notion that you are not in a position where you can actually have any boundaries. Let's say you, again, we'll go back to the work example, because that seems to be the most, the most relatable example. You're in a work environment where you don't have the luxury of being able to say no mm. to certain things or you, you you don't feel like you can say no to anything. What advice would you give to somebody in that situation? I would challenge that they can't say no to things. I know at work it probably feels like you have to say yes to everything, but maybe it's worth investigating where that thought comes from or where that feeling comes from that you need to say yes to everything because I actually think people in my experience people actually respect you more at work when you set boundaries Mm -hmm. so I think especially for women but not exclusively for women a lot of that those thoughts come from the idea that they need to be nice and accommodating and not push back on stuff because it will be seen as too like brash or whatever so I actually think you can set boundaries in every aspect of life even if it feels like you can't I don't really know if that's good advice (laughs) I'm I'm basically saying just do it (laughs) (laughs) but obviously saying that isn't necessarily helpful to people who struggle to set boundaries so what would you say that's maybe a bit more encouraging and 
makes more sense for those types of people. I think the advice I would give to somebody who, or the challenge I would give to somebody who was in a situation where they felt like they had to say yes and that saying no wasn't an option. Even And usually when, when, when people feel like saying no isn't an option, it's usually not because someone has said you're not allowed to say no. It's usually a perception, but there is value in clarifying. Uh, have I been told that I can't actually say no? As someone explicitly said, you're not allowed to say no. If yes, that's a different situation. If no, no one has told you that you can't say no, then where is the thought coming from, as you said? what's where Where is that actual hesitation to say no coming from? And even more importantly, what are you making saying no mean about you and your sense of self and your identity and your ability to show up? Because if you don't dig deep and try to understand why you feel like you have to say yes, you're never going to get to a point where you're going to feel comfortable saying no. And mm -hmm. you also have to remember that saying no will like never feels good. <laughs> At least not in the beginning. It's yeah. it's uncomfortable. It feels wrong, especially if you haven't interrogated the reasons why you feel the need to say yes to everything. And it's tied really closely to people pleasing as well. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who people pleases, then you are likely going to be somebody who sets boundaries in order to control other people's behavior. An example of that being the kind of thoughts that you're going to have in your mind are going to be things like somebody wants me to do them a favor. I really don't want to do this favor for them. But I can't say no. Usually the reason why you feel that way is because you're telling yourself, if I say yes, then they will like me. If I say yes, then they will feel X, Y, Z. Mm. But in reality, you have no control about other people's feelings. Their thoughts control their feelings. Yeah, so you could do it and they could still not like you. Exactly. Or it doesn't change how they feel about you at all, regardless of whether you say yes or no. Exactly. You have no control over that. Yes, you don't. And it feels like you do. And I'll be hearing, I'll hear people say, well, yeah, but if somebody calls you, you know, says something mean to you, you're going to feel like crap. So they have some control. But no, because all they're doing is saying words at me. And I'm my thoughts, I'm choosing thoughts that are causing me to feel anger, sadness, whatever, because the words that they're saying in my mind are mean. And if they said those same words to me in a different language that I didn't understand, I wouldn't feel, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't That's feel upset, example. right? Because they're just words. So someone is saying words to you, doesn't, if they're saying, if somebody's saying something to you that is, and you're feeling awful listening to what they're saying to you, it's because of your thoughts. It's not because of the words that are being said to you. Because if words had that kind of impact, then it wouldn't matter what language they were being said in. You would, <laughs> someone would say something that sounds like gibberish to you and you'd be like, hey yeah. <laughs> that's really mean right and you can also have someone say something to you and you it doesn't phase you because you don't care about what they think or, or whatever exactly so it's your choice think about even though it doesn't always you know it's, that's that sounds like easier said than done but yeah. it is actually your choice yeah think about the times when you've produced a piece of work something that you thought is fine but it's not like you could do better and others have consumed the work and thought this is incredible and have said to you this is really great and you haven't believed them because you're like uh yeah but you're saying that because you have to be nice to me you're only saying that because yeah, you have to exactly right? if you don't believe it whatever they say isn't gonna matter exactly that's a really good example to show that other people don't control your thoughts if you feel unattractive 
and somebody says to you, I think you're really attractive, you're not going to believe them. You're going to be like, oh, whatever. You'll find an excuse in your head as to why what they've said isn't correct. Yeah, and why believe. they're saying it. Exactly. They're just saying it to be nice. Exactly, or, or they're just saying that because somebody asked them to say it or whatever, yeah. right? So if people aren't able to control your thoughts, what makes you think that you can control other people's thoughts? Exactly. And if we accept that premise that uh, our thoughts and our feelings are caused by ourselves and not other people, then people-pleasing starts to look silly because... <laughs> You can't, you can't do things in the hopes that it will incite a specific thought in someone else's head. That's just not how it works. People will mm-hmm. think whatever it is that they want to think. Exactly. And if you accept that premise, then violating your own boundaries and losing track of your own boundaries because you are doing things in order to make other people feel a certain way, all it's going to do is hurt you and it's still not going to get you the result that you want, which is, I want everyone to like me. But it's like, you you have no control over that. Mm. So all you can do, the only thing that's actually going to make you, because if you think to yourself, if I do this, other people will like me, for instance, and then I'll feel good. It doesn't work because, first of all, you're violating your own boundaries in order to do the thing that you don't want to do because you think it's going to make other people like you, which will make you feel good. But all you're doing is violating your own boundaries and you feel crap. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if your goal is to feel good and you have a set of boundaries (laughs) that you would like to enforce and your goal is to feel good, the only thing that will make you feel good is actually enforcing your boundaries. Yeah, agree. No other, there's no other way for you to feel good unless you enforce your own boundaries on that note, <laughs> enforce your boundaries or set, set your boundaries, yes. then enforce them. And we didn't say what conclusion happened with the story. Ah, so with the story, so the mom gathered a whole bunch of the other parents of the daughters who had also been harassed by this kid, went to the principal and expressed their frustration at how this whole situation had been dealt with, talked about how how taking harassment seriously even at a young age was really important the value of teaching kids how to set proper boundaries was really important and they were able to convince the principal to see sense and understand where they were coming from and the school committed to looking at trauma-based learning as one of the elements of teacher training that the school was going to be rolling out for the teachers. So teaching, um, equipping teachers with the ability to teach kids who with a little bit more nuance than how they'd Mm. been doing it before, because obviously the blanket one wasn't working, but that was the way she gathered, gathered a tribe, stated her case. And yeah, she won that. She won that particular battle. Nice. That's good. It's an interesting one that parents face all the time. It's, I've seen this a lot with like forcing your kids to give hugs to like relatives you know and there's a school of thought that says that you should never force a kid to go and give like an auntie and uncle a kiss or something if they don't want to yeah and that the kid your kid should be able to be like i don't want to hug this person because boundaries matter but if you're teaching a kid that it's rude not to allow your Mm. boundary your physical space to be violated they're going to grow up believing that their their physical needs don't matter yeah that's a really good example actually because it seems so innocuous on the surface But actually, it does have a knock-on impact. Yes. And if anything we've said today has been particularly 
troubling or <laughs> triggering, whether it's to do with boundaries or setting them or even figuring out whether you need them or understanding them better. I'm also a coach, <laughs> so I can help you work through that. There'll be details in the show notes for that as well. Yes, highly recommend. Yes. Lewis helps me with stuff all the time. Yes, yes. In fact, in fact, I believe I was there for your first set of boundaries. <laughs> Baby yes. boundaries. Yep. <laughs> she was. Yes. Good well, times. Well, not so good times. Good times. <laughs> Bad times, then good times. Yes. Bad times, then good times. And now great times. Right? Indeed. Yes. Great times. Amazing. Well... That's it for this week. That's it. And thanks so much for listening. As always, everything you need is in the show notes. Yep. And share it far and wide. Share this episode. Share the other episodes. Let us know which episodes have been your favorite so far. Yeah. Let us know. Yes. Any feedback, welcome. Yes. And any dilemmas that you have as well, send them in. Especially if you have... setting boundaries. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And share... Share everything you've learned with your enemies, your foes, and your friends. Distant cousins (laughs) as well. All right, and we'll see you back here next week. See you next week. Bye, Tease. Bye.